2: KQED.
3: I'm Alan Montecilio, in for Erica Cruz-Guevara, and you're listening to The Bay, local news to keep you rooted. We have an addiction and overdose crisis in California, and for years, advocates and politicians have been pushing for something called safe injection sites to help address this problem.
4: And San Francisco could soon allow people to use drugs under the care of medical professionals who would be on hand while they give themselves drugs. Yeah, Mayor London Breed says
3: this. The goal is to save lives, and research shows it's worked in other
4: places. It reduces overdose deaths, it facilitates people getting into substance use disorder treatment, and it actually helps the neighborhoods in which they're located.
3: This is actually a pretty popular idea in the Bay Area, and a lot of public officials have been for it. The state legislature recently okayed a bill that would have allowed safe injection sites to open in San Francisco, Oakland, and LA. But after a long wait, Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed the bill, and supporters of safe injection sites are really disappointed.
1: It's just very, very uh, devastating to have yet another gubernatorial veto as so many people die on our streets, two people a day in San Francisco alone.
3: Today, how safe injection sites work, why Governor Newsom vetoed them, and what might happen next.
1: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with
3: actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our
1: Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED.
3: Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED podcasts too at donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. How long has this idea of safe injection sites been around for?
2: Yeah, they've been around for decades.
3: Leslie McClurg is a health correspondent for KQED.
2: Canada, Australia, Europe, these facilities exist in other places and have have for quite some time. The idea is relatively new to the U.S., and I I think when you talk to people who are experts about this or talk to journalists who have been studying this, they're confused by the fact that it is not well-known or not done here in the U.S. That's just kind of startling. This last November, two sites opened in New York City. Rhode Island actually passed a law, actually, that these can exist in Rhode Island, but they haven't gotten off the ground yet. So just getting going in the U.S.
3: What what do safe injection sites typically look like?
2: You walk in, there's these individual booths that are usually sort of metal booths. I've heard people describe them as kind of a hair salon. There's a lot of mirrors so that, you know, to ensure that there's a lot of eyes on what people are doing. Someone would go in with their own drugs um, and then they would be given sterile supplies to inject or snort. And then someone, a healthcare worker usually, is monitoring that particular person who's walked in. And then as soon as they've taken their drugs, they go into a second room where they kind of chill out and ride out their high and are monitored along the way to ensure that they don't overdose. Right now, we have an overdose crisis in the country, in the state, in our cities. And so the idea is we're reducing harm by saving lives because it's so easy to overdose. You would go into one of these facilities and someone is monitoring the situation so that they can provide uh, nalaxone or Narcan that if you take quickly enough, then it will save that life. And so across the world, there have been zero overdoses in these facilities. And if you compare that to the fact that just in San Francisco right now, on average, about two people are overdosing on the streets every day. So the idea is that you are going to save lives. That's the that's the primary goal that you're trying to achieve. And then along the way, you have the benefit of having a bunch of people who typically don't have easy access to healthcare in a place going in and having a bunch of healthcare folks have eyes on those people. And so that if you do have Abscesses, or you know, wounds from you know injecting, or you're struggling with HIV. A healthcare worker is there, so you also might be reducing harm in that sense by helping people, uh, you know, access healthcare that they otherwise wouldn't be getting.
3: So the idea is that by giving people a safe space to use these drugs, that is safer than if they were going to use them anyway out in the streets where they could overdose and they could die and people are dying. How does that then translate into people potentially finding help and maybe recovering from their addiction? What what do we know about about that?
2: There is some pretty solid data showing that these sites do help funnel people towards treatment. It's not a requirement, you know, when you walk in to one of these facilities there is you don't have to sign a waiver that okay, yeah, you'll go get high but then afterwards you're going to enroll in, you know, an outpatient or inpatient treatment facility. But Typically, people who are going to these sites have an ongoing and pretty chronic addiction to drugs. And so many would like to seek treatment or eventually would like to seek treatment or they you know, get to that place and they don't know necessarily where to go. And these sites make it very easy for them to start asking questions. And maybe when they are ready, they will then be connected. I was surprised to learn as I was doing my reporting that typically if you put one of these sites into a neighborhood that it actually can clean up the neighborhood. So the sites that are in New York City right now, the street sweepers and cleaners say oh this the streets are actually much cleaner in terms of, you know, needle waste, um syringes, etc. in the places where these sites are. Instead of a bunch of people you know, getting high on the streets, out in public, in front of kids, et cetera, those folks are, are inside. So there's kind of two benefits there that are a bit counterintuitive. One of the critiques is that the neighborhoods where these will go will then turn into kind of a drug center and attract a bunch of, of addicts. But that doesn't seem to be the case.
3: Is it super expensive? How practical is is something like this to implement?
2: There has been a, a study. There's a, a site in California that's actually an underground site. We don't know where it is. It's been in operation for several years, basically for study purposes. And they have looked at it and determined that it actually can save money.
4: We conducted a study that was published in a peer-reviewed journal two years ago that showed that if we put a safe consumption site like the one that they have in Vancouver, if we put one of those in San Francisco, it would essentially save the city about $3.5 million a year.
2: So the primary researcher that has done a lot of this, kind of collected all this data from different sites around the world and done this cost efficiency study is a guy named Alex Crowell. And he is an epidemiologist for a place called RTI International. It's a nonprofit that does a a variety of different kinds of research. It
4: taxes the um, paramedics and ambulances less by by having these sites that can actually take care of an overdose right then and there, as opposed to uh, calling 911 every time.
2: An overdose is quite expensive. And so you not only save the money that, you know, rushing that person to the hospital and saving their lives would cost. But also there's been there would be some savings in the sense that you would be taking care of some of these people that instead of using the emergency room for their abscesses or or issues with the diseases that they're suffering from, they would be getting more regular medical help.
4: So we have over 30 years of experience uh, researching and evaluating safe consumption sites around the world. And uh, essentially, we get the same results almost everywhere we look.
3: I'm wondering, have you heard? personal stories of people who maybe either have personally benefited or, or maybe wish they had the opportunity to um, use at one of these, these safe injection sites.
2: I did talk to some folks who have struggled with addiction in their past and just ask them about their experience and, and specifically a guy named Gary McCoy. Uh,
0: I started using drugs, um, I would say, on rare occasion, uh, but probably more than, than I should have uh, at around 14 or 15 years old.
2: Overdose for the first time in a bathroom by himself at a gas station when he was, I think, 16 or 17 years old.
0: It was primarily at that time of, of, of my drug use. Uh, history was, was heroin.
2: I was living on the streets, developed HIV from, a, he thinks, probably a dirty needle.
0: For the longest time, I would reuse uh, the syringes that I was using, or I would share with other people. Um, you know, they would dull, we would use matchbooks to sharpen them up a little bit and just keep using them.
2: And his overwhelming story is that if these sites would have existed at that time in his life, it could have saved him.
0: For ten years, it wasn't. It didn't happen. Like as much as I tried, I could. I could not. I couldn't stop using.
2: His drug dealer actually pointed him to get treatment because he was in such bad shape. He was 110 pounds. He had really bad psoriasis. Um, his HIV was completely out of control, and he thinks he probably would have died had his drug dealer not nudged him in that direction.
0: And for whatever reason, it resonated with me. I mean, I was angry, I was like, how dare you? But he walked me to my intake uh, and was very supportive, and then he walked me to my treatment program uh, a couple weeks later when I got to bed.
2: And he wishes there would have been a safe place for him to go and get high. He often got high by himself in a bathroom and could have overdosed at any time, and, and did occasionally, and was had to be rushed to the hospital on numerous occasions and was in and out of jail. And so he wishes there could have been a, a center where he could have just asked for help.
0: I think it would have avoided a lot of trauma, for sure. I don't know if I would have stopped using sooner, but I certainly would have been in in much better hands. And I would have had people around me even sooner in my life that could have directed me in in a good position or, or down the right path to live a healthier life.
2: Okay,
3: so we have solid scientific evidence that safe injection sites save lives, can improve access to treatment, make surrounding areas cleaner, safer, and that it can even save money as well. But all that said, you know, it's not a universally beloved idea. Um, how would you sum up the opposition to this? Like, how would you characterize it? And where do you think it comes from?
2: The the primary is is obvious, right? That we are going to tell people that it's okay to do drugs. And that's just not what the government should be doing. And I think the the other primary arguments are that They would come to a neighborhood and potentially attract a bunch of people who struggle with drugs, that it would increase needle litter, syringes in the neighborhood, um, that these sites will be drug dens that will lure a whole new crew of people who wouldn't have otherwise done drugs, um, and so that it would actually increase the number of people who are becoming addicted. I mean, I get it personally, in the sense that when I first started covering these, I was sort of, wait, we're going to do what? We're going to spend tax dollars on opening a facility where you can go and do illicit drugs? What? Like, how does that work? And I think it's just hard for our mentality. You know, for many decades, we've been saying you punish people who do drugs and you shame and guilt them. And you say that drugs are bad and don't do them. And I think it's scary to to give people permission to get high. And I understand why, you know, a lot of law enforcement and like narcotics association, et cetera, are the primary opponents to this. And not only is that kind of a, a hurdle to get over, but but it's a scary hurdle. They're dealing with people who get high every day. And it makes sense that you would potentially not want to get a bunch of people high. So I, I understand the the opponents and I think it it's a it's a leap internally.
3: Safe injection sites have been opposed by law enforcement groups, the state Republican Party, and the group Mothers Against Drug Deaths, which favors stronger punishments for drug use. On the other hand, they have been supported by most local officials in the Bay Area and are a pretty popular idea in Oakland and San Francisco. Still, getting this done has been an uphill battle for advocates and officials in California. This time, many were hopeful that Governor Gavin Newsom would help them break through by signing Senate Bill 57 into law.
2: It would have opened sites in Oakland, San Francisco, and Los Angeles, so three cities that are definitely struggling with an overdose crisis. It didn't have a limit on the number of sites that could have opened in these places, and it would have tested them basically from now until I think it was 2027, um, and they would have had to collect data along the way to ensure that they were working and then determine whether or not those pilot sites could be expanded or the idea could be expanded. There was an effort in 2018, and the bill also made it all the way to the governor's desk, and at the time that was Governor Jerry Brown, and he vetoed it. And so you fast forward to today and Senator Scott Weiner, who's a Democrat in San Francisco, uh, pushed this forward and it passed both the Assembly uh, and the Senate. And it was on the governor's desk for all like 10 or 12 days that he had to sign it. And he vetoed it as well. Why, why did he do that? Well, his his reasons were that it could have unintended consequences and that, you know, we needed to do more research. I would say that there's definitely a hint or a sign potentially that this was a political move um, in the sense that this is a pretty unpopular idea across much of the country. And potentially Governor Newsom has some presidential aspirations. He has not come forward with that or declared that, but it does sort of hint at the idea that he's thinking about how his decisions are going to be viewed by the rest of the country.
3: What did Senator Weiner say in response to the governor's uh, at least public stated reasons for not supporting this, which are we need to study this more. We don't want an unintended consequences.
2: Yeah, I wouldn't want to throw this word out because I don't think he said this word. But I, I, my sense was that Senator Weiner was basically like hogwash. Like that is not true.
1: I mean, with all with all respect to the, to the governor, I just could not disagree more uh, vehemently with some of the statements in the veto uh, message.
2: I would say that, you know, he was basically calling calling Governor Newsom's card and saying that's not accurate. We have the data and you're not actually owning what is true, which is that this is a political move.
1: We have an enormous amount of data and experience and peer-reviewed studies showing that they are effective and we do not need a working group uh, to tell us that. Uh, and if the governor had wanted more guardrails in, in the bill, we would have been happy to talk to him.
2: Advocates were and are absolutely devastated by the governor's decision. They recognize that safe consumption sites are are not going to solve the overdose crisis, but they are one important tool, potentially, that we could start saving lives. I mean, in 2020, 10,000 people in California died of an overdose, 100,000 people in the country died of an overdose or more. And so this is a serious, serious health crisis.
3: So we've had this veto by Governor Newsom. What are Bay Area cities going to do next?
2: So at least in in San Francisco, I think the idea is very much still on the table. And the model that the groups, the advocates, are gonna use is what's happened in New York City. So in New York City, those were not, they're not city funded, they're not state funded. Those are nonprofits that are running these sites. And basically, the government has not gotten in the way, or and the feds either have not come and shut them down because they could. And so I think the idea here in San Francisco will be the same way that the groups that are behind this, specifically the AIDS Foundation and Health Right 360, are, are two organizations that really want to get these off the ground. We'll try to raise the money to do so and we'll try to open at least one site. And it sounds like the government officials, you know, uh, Mayor London Breed, uh, city attorney David Shue are are not necessarily going to get in the way and they will let these sites open. But they just won't take responsibility for the sites. Where do you think
3: we are with how we view addiction, how we're talking about addiction, and what do you think this veto says about how we view addiction right now?
2: I think we're not quite there yet in terms of really treating addiction as a disease that needs significant resources, both you know mental health resources, harm reduction strategies, uh, etc. We're not quite there yet. I think the veto definitely speaks to the fact that there is a Drugs are bad, and we're just gonna hammer people for doing them and not necessarily think about how we get them better. Um, that stigma still exists, and yet I think we're a lot better than we were you know, a few years ago. And I think the crisis is bringing that forefront. We're still in a territory where we're working our way towards really looking and, and treating addiction as a disease.
3: Leslie, thanks so much. Thank you. That was Leslie McClurg, health correspondent for KQED. Thanks as well to KQED editor Kevin Stark, who interviewed State Senator Scott Wiener. And thanks to you for listening. If you liked this episode, tell a friend about it. And don't forget to subscribe so you get the next one when it drops. This 36-minute conversation with Leslie was cut down by producer Maria Eskinka. I added the tape and the music. The Bay is a production of KQED Public Media in San Francisco. I'm Alan Montesilio, in for Erica Cruz Guevara. We'll talk to you Friday.
0: Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week we bring you
2: stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world.
3: I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California.